0: Welcome to the PokePress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. This time we have two segments. In the first, I discuss Australian rock group In Excess, and which of their songs might have worked for Pokemon. Like the perfume discussion from last time, Anne from PvP Podcast offers her thoughts as well. Our second segment is an archival interview from last year's Midwest Regional, where I attempted to talk to one of the top finishers in the TCG event. This year's Regional is coming up, so I figured this was a good time to bring this one back. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. Before we start the In Excess segment, I wanted to say that despite my immense devotion to the group, there were a few things that didn't quite get correct. Be sure to take a look at the extended episode notes, which should be on the blog and in the SoundCloud post. Thanks. All right, well, very glad I got a chance to learn uh, more about that group, uh, more about Perfume, and uh, wish them luck in the future. But uh, for now, let's transition over to the group I picked. I picked NXS, and, and if you didn't catch it earlier, it's I-N-X-S. So, they still exists sort of today. We'll get into that as time goes on. But basically, uh, it started off as a group of six guys from Australia. Three of them are brothers, and that was sort of led to the original name of the band, which was the Ferris Brothers Band. Uh, the three Ferris Brothers who were in the band were Andrew, Tim, and John Ferris. And uh, the other three members of the band were Kirk Pengilly uh Gary Gary Beers his yeah he does have uh I'd have to look it up I think one has two Rs and one has one and I think it's 1R 2R Beers is his name and then uh the original lead singer Michael Hutchins um and they eventually all wound up uh getting together and forming this band now I should point out that uh they're an 80s rock group and some of the details of their story are not age-appropriate for this discussion, so I'll be leaving some of those out. Um, a lot of this information comes from their autobiography called Story to Story, which is not safe for kids, <laughs> to be brutally honest there. But I will be toning things down a bit to sort of uh, fit this, this our, our target demographic, I guess you could say, with this with this podcast. But in any case, they um, eventually changed their name to In Excess, which is sort of a, a takeoff on another band uh, which is XTC uh pronounced ecstasy um and that's the uh, sort of the genesis of the NXS name they wanted something short and then the, that was sort of how they arrived at that now if i were to describe their genre they're obviously a rock band they especially early in the in, the, in their career were what would be typified as a uh, as a new wave band new wave was this thing that sort of came out towards the end of the disco era and into the early 80s that was sort of this synth-based thing that was, uh, like I said, more rock-driven after Disco Stores started to fade away as a popular type. But they did have a lot of dance influence in their music, um, which I guess is part of the reason why a lot of their songs um, that have a lot of uh, official remixes that have been done over the years that they've contracted out for. Um, If you want to take a look at that, you can go ahead and search excess Remixes, and uh, you'll find some pretty neat stuff, actually. People have gone in a lot of interesting, different ways with their songs. But sort of the, uh, what adds to their distinct sound as a group is really a couple things. Uh, first of all, Kirk Pengilly, in addition to per- doing the uh, guitars on a lot of their songs, actually learned how to play the saxophone and uh, I think one or two other instruments. Basically, they decided it was something they wanted for their sound, so he just took it upon himself to learn to play the instrument. Uh, which is uh, actually pretty impressive. Um, the other major part of their sound that you will hear in a lot of their songs, especially a lot of their their very popular songs, is that they have a very heavy bass line in a lot of them. But anyway, as far as the sort of trajectory of their career, uh, they started out with their first album in Australia in 1979. It was self-titled, and then they had Underneath the Colors, and of course that's with a U because they're from Australia. And after that, they started to sort of, you know, move internationally and do some of that stuff. So their first album that had any sort of international uh, success was uh, Shabu Shuba. I think I said that right. It's got really two songs there that are, that are decently well known. One of those is uh, called The One Thing, which, um, the music video is a little PG-ish, but, um, it may inform you as to why cat videos are so popular now, uh, <laughs> just to, to put it that way. It's, probably not the, it's certainly not the first example of what would be, we would call now a cat video, but there are a lot of cats in that music video for whatever reason. Um, the other one that uh, wasn't necessarily such a huge radio hit, but has an absolutely uh, huge longevity within uh, the fandom of the group is Don't Change. It was uh, filmed at a hangar somewhere, I believe, in Australia. It's got all the members of the band, uh, for the music video at least. And it, they play it at the end of virtually all their concerts. You'll, you'll see it there. Um, it, it's just one of those songs that's... I think they, the phrase they use is, never died with NXS. So it's, it's one of those ones that they, they, they put at the end there. Uh, after that, they went through a few more albums. Uh, let's see. The Swing... Listen Like Thieves was one of their first big ones in the United States. That has one of their big hits, uh, What You Need. And right after that, the album after that was Kick, which is their their most popular album. That was released in 87. And uh, then there's X in 1990. Uh, Let's see. Welcome to Wherever You Are. Let's see. uh, Full Moon, Dirty Hearts, Elegantly Wasted. And then there's a big gap, because unfortunately some stuff went down there. So they had their peak in the late 80s, really, with the Kick album, and they did X, which was an okay follow-up, and they ran into some publicity issues and variety of things, and unfortunately, it eventually ended with um, the last album with the original band members was Elegantly Wasted in 1997. And later that year um the lead singer Michael Hutchins was found dead in his hotel room. I'm sorry, there's really not a nice way to say this. It was ruled a suicide. And um after that they were kind of out of commission for a few years. And you know, obviously if you're asking, well, why didn't they ever do a Pokemon song is even if they had wanted to, the timing was just about as bad as you could hope for there. There might have been a good choice on Elegantly Wasted. I would recommend looking up the song Everything, which uh, actually has like a full music video. A couple of the songs in the album has, have a, have full music videos that were shot before Michael died and just weren't released until much later because of all that stuff. And so, you know, the band was not really in the position to, if they had been asked and had wanted to, produce anything uh, I, I don't suspect that the band members themselves had too much personal familiarity they might have if they had visited japan in say 96 or 97 maybe they picked something up but they did have kids who were born in the like late 80s early 90s so i would assume that if they had any exposure to the franchise it would probably be through that so it, it was just one of those things that obviously just wasn't meant to be and, and to be fair, the other members of the group had also been going through some stuff. Some of their parents had been uh, passing away around that time. And, and once Michael passed away in 97, it just really shut them down for a while. And they went into sort of this period of mostly inactivity. They did perform at the, I think, the dedication ceremony for the uh, Sydney Stadium for the Olympics. I don't think they were in the actual opening ceremonies, but they did perform at the like uh, dedication for the for stadium. And they did try a variety of replacement lead singers. They tried doing it with just the five of them. And eventually that led to something that I'm sure a lot of you have some memories of. Back in 2005, they had a reality show called Rockstar in Excess, where they did this basically worldwide talent search, at least pretty much through all the English-speaking world, to try and find a new lead singer. And, um... Kind of a sad fact, I did actually consider trying out for that show as a fan of the group, but I kind of realized I didn't really have the talent and probably wasn't the kind of person they were looking for, and I just like barely made the age requirement for the show. But uh, there's a little, I guess, secret shame? I don't know. I did want to kind of throw that in there as the the one reality show I have ever seriously considered trying out for. Um But in any case, they sort of, uh, during the summer of 2005 and into the early fall, they had a series of episodes, and they eventually narrowed it down to a couple folks, eventually winding up with a man by the name of J.D. Fortune, who was, uh, he's originally from Canada, and uh, talking about determination, uh, he had been actually kind of homeless, more or less. I think he'd been drifting around before this show, and uh, was living out of his car, and uh, got and made it all the way in there. Now, kind of sadly, uh, it wasn't really meant to be. First of all, a couple years after that show, there was uh, one of the band members had a, a medical problem that prevented them from playing uh, a large number of shows in a row because of some issue with their hands or whatever. And so, medically, they couldn't really do a long tour. And uh, Fortune had some, shall we say, personal issues. We won't go into too deep of a detail here. And so the band uh, sort of became inactive after about 2007, kind of sadly. They've put out a few things. They did like a reimagining album. And uh, they've tried a few other folks since then. They'll occasionally do shows, I guess, at like uh, events or maybe on on, uh, TV or stuff like that. Um, And that's sort of the loose history of the band. So basically, to sum it up, the main reason they never did a Pokemon song is that during that time... Um, even if they had wanted to use one of the songs from, say, Elegantly Wasted, it, it would have been really difficult logistically, because after Michael died, there were all these legal fights over his estate, and, you know, he was the, pri- Michael was the primary lyricist for the group, and it is, that's basically the reason it never happened. Like I said, they have kids who are about the right age, so I'm sure they've heard of it, and, you know, maybe bought some stuff for their kids, but uh, that's sort of the history of the, the group from the late 70s up through today. So you may be wondering, you know, where did I hear about them? Well, it's kind of a weird story because I um, really got into their music starting in college. Uh, Like my first semester of college, they had just released a compilation album. This would be in 2002. And I picked that up and it took me a long time to figure out where I had heard their music Now, you may remember they said that their biggest album was Kick back in 1987. Well, the singles for that album came out from 88, 89, um, and then their next album, X, came out in 90, and that was pretty much their second biggest album, other than maybe, like I said, Listen Like Thieves. And during that time period, I was about five or six, and uh, I do know that every other week, the daycare I went to would take us to the roller rink, And, um, you know, they would play music there. And there are certain excess songs that wouldn't be appropriate for a young daycare audience, but some of them would, at least by late 80s standards, be just fine. And uh, I have to figure, I must have heard some of their stuff there, along with, you know, the usual suspects, Paula Abdul, Vanilla Ice, other, uh, you know, probably Michael Jackson, of course. Um, I do also remember hearing this very strange version of Beat It, but all the lyrics were about food. So I'm pretty sure that's the place, first place I heard Weird Al, uh, at least that I remember. So that was sort of my formative musical experience. Was sort of in the late 80s, 88 to about 90, and so that was the period of time where they were the most popular. Now, Anne, I as I understand, you didn't really have too much of a familiarity. You were born a couple years later than I was, isn't that right? And you don't remember the, you don't really remember their show either.
1: No, and. Like, I mean, some of it could be, like, my small town of Canada, maybe they didn't get a lot of radio play, and then, you know, I didn't have cable, and then when I got to college, I still didn't have cable. Like, it could have been, like, just the stars didn't align, but, you know, I I never really came across them until until we started this project.
0: Yeah, Even when their new lead singer was a Canadian, you didn't, uh...
1: Yeah, uh, I- <laughs> well, he left us, man. Like, he's dead <laughs> to us. Aww. Join the Americans. But yeah, no, I, yeah, for some reason, like, it could just be, again, like, my personal circumstances. Like, I did not encounter a lot of staples of pop culture until, like, my later college years when I, you know, started getting the internet. It's like, some things just did not cross my path in the right way. So, it could be that they, unfortunately, just never hit the right Wavelength for me to, to get to find them.
0: That's possible. I think the other times I'd heard of them before college, I think one of their music videos called Beautiful Girl addresses some some really, I don't know, dark is one way of putting it, but it, it deals with body image a lot. Um, it talks about anorexia in the, in the video. The song itself is is doesn't really explicitly reference any of that, but they do talk about that. And I think it was mentioned on a Nick News special that I saw on eating disorders back in the 90s. And I probably heard the news story of when Michael died. I, to be honest, would not have had nice things to say about it back then. I think maybe I'm a little more politically correct now. Um, It it was very tragic, and if you want all the gory details, you can look them up. But, um, yeah, so that sort of of was my my introduction to it. Before we get on to the songs, there are a couple other things I kind of wanted to mention in regards to In excess in Pokemon, even though they've never done a song for it, for kind of, like I said, uh, chronological reasons, I sort of explained there. um, There are a couple things. First of all, I think that the whole Rockstar In excess experience and them going from one lead singer to another probably is one of the reasons why I'm not as bothered by the voice actor switch in the dub. And because, like, when they announced this, like, I had just been through Rockstar In Oh, this again. It's something I had just kind of been through, so it maybe didn't bother me as much. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, it could be if you'd learn to deal with it quicker than some of the rest of us did.
0: <laughs> or the fact that um, I was a little bit older, maybe that helped too. The other, well, there was a couple other. One really weird similarity I wanted to point out is that Pokemon obviously started as a video game series. It turns out NXS had their own video game. And I don't mean they had a track in, in Guitar Hero or a song in a the Grand Theft Auto game. They had a video game on the Sega CD, based on a couple of the songs from their Welcome to Wherever You Are album. And uh, it's one of the Make My Video games. It's not very good, but it does compare, on a certain level, to Pokemon Channel for the GameCube, and I kind of wanted to mention that, uh, in that both games have limited interactivity, and you watch a lot of pre-recorded video footage. (laughs) So... There's a kind of a weird similarity there. And there is one Pokemon song that I'd say kind of does sound like an NXS song, and that's from, on the Japanese side, from the fourth generation Kaze no Messed, Messes of the Wind. Uh, It has the aggressive bass line places, which is very similar to some of NXS's stuff, particularly, I would say, on the album Kick, which we'll be talking about a little bit today. And maybe that's one of the reasons I really like that. It's one of my favorite Japanese songs ever. And I, I'd also have to say that at the very end of the song, "Kaze no Message, there's this riff that bears a very loose, it, it, they don't sound exactly the same by any means, but very loose resemblance to the main riff from one of NXS's biggest hits, Devil Inside. It's in a different key because the the songs are in very different keys. But there are, like, a handful of notes in there that sound kind of similar. And I'm wondering if the people who composed that, uh, I think it's a group called the Sky Boys, uh, did the, either the composition or arrangement or something. I wonder if they consider NXS an influence, because NXS did have a bit of an, uh, a fan base in Japan. They shot at least one of their music videos, Original Sin, in Tokyo, which is a pretty actually a pretty neat music video if you want to look that one up. Uh, but they did do some concerts there and some events, and uh, they kind of remarked, I think in one interview I saw, that the, the folks in Japan were just very polite, and they would clap after each song and uh, wait for the next one, <laughs> which was very different from the, their audiences in a lot of other countries. So, But uh, anyway, the three songs of theirs that I picked, uh, they have obviously a large number of albums over the years, um, are... This time, from the Listen Like Thieves album, which was released in 1985. Kick, from the album of the same name, from 87. And way forward, um, the album they released after Rockstar and Excess, Switch, has a song called Us, which I also picked. Let's go in chronological order from when these were released. So the first one is this time, off the Listen Like Thieves album. So if you listen to the lyrics of this... It's pretty clear that the song is sort of about a bickering couple. That aside, given the tone of the song and stuff, I think this would work really well as a song about the sort of first-generation traveling group, which, Anne, many times in the podcast you've mentioned that uh, these three folks really don't have much of an excuse to be with each other. They aren't really compatible in any sort of meaningful way, I would say.
1: Yeah, basically.
0: <laughs> and so if you listen to this song, um, it starts out with sort of this little guitar uh, melody that goes. And uh, it, the lyrics start off, you know, I will be- believe you if you say it's true. And there are a few lines that are more romantic. And, and maybe if we had the original Ash Misty Brock, we would have Brock sort of chime in unexpectedly for a couple of those lines to make it work a little bit better. But the the chorus of the song basically says that they're hoping and praying that this time will be the last time that we will fight like this. And it sort of goes on into there and it sort of talks about how the, the people involved are threatening sort of to leave each other and go off on their own. And yet they never do. And I think that sort of fits the group dynamic for the, uh, for the original series to, especially like the first uh, pre orange islands arc of it, where the, the characters aren't, are sort of tenuously linked and just sort of traveling because, and do you you feel that's that's an apt comparison?
1: Yeah, this is a wonderful choice of yours. Um, And I'm kind of really touched by one line in the song, like that we're always wanting things we cannot find, you know, that we're always wasting time. It it kind of reminded me of Johto in that, like the the time where they suddenly realized they were friends and how to be good friends was the minute they left all that time they were together almost was like wasted time. Like there's something really touching and heartbreaking about that.
0: I would kind of have to to have to agree. And like I said, they, they, they do fight a lot. Now I suppose the alternative perspective you could do for this song is you could make it about the team rocket trio and maybe it works (laughs) there in a slightly different way as well between Jesse and, and James as sort of the, the main figures there. Um, actually, I would really love to have a, a version where, where James does the, the vocals. That might be very fun to listen to. Eric Stewart does
1: sing. <laughs>
0: Any other thoughts on, on sort of the style of the song? It's one of the definitely one of the more – friendly is one way to describe it, I suppose, but definitely one of the more kind of upbeat, even though the, the topic is, like I said, is about a bickering couple and sort of working out their, their, their issues, but there's kind of hopeful for the future. Um, is that sort of the, the vibe you got from the song overall?
1: Yeah. Like musically, it, like it, it's not really playing against the lyrics in like a really extreme sense, but like, it does have like, just kind of a more positive feel to it, which I think kind of makes you feel like this is not a, a bickering couple song where they can't make it work and should break up. Like this is, a couple that maybe can get it together towards the end. Like the, the p- feelings are positive as well.
0: And I should point out this song has a music video. Uh, the other two songs don't, uh, but this one has an official music video. It was one of their singles off of listen, like thieves. It features what I like to call the millionaire lights because they're, they, they use these. what at the time were very new computerized lights um, that are, you know, move in, in, precise timings and stuff like that, like you would see going like into a question in who wants to be a millionaire. So that's kind of where I got that comparison from. But, uh, it, it's, it's pretty neat. It's not, I would say they're most visually impressive. NXS has definitely a reputation as a very, um, music video adept band. And some of that was the fact that Australia For a long time, just a lot of folks, even Major X, would rarely or never tour there, so they would send in music videos, which predate MTV by quite a bit. But that may have given Australian groups like NXS sort of a head start in figuring out what they wanted to do when MTV came around and when they could start doing their own music videos and do that, and that helped them get exposure. Because certainly some of their songs got extra radio airplay and sales and stuff off some of the music videos. Definitely, like, The One Thing, What You Need, uh, Need You Tonight. Uh, those are some of their, their biggest, most well-known music videos out there. And, uh, like I said, this is maybe not their most important one. It was directed by two guys from the group 10CC, which some of you will know is the group that uh, did uh, I'm Not in Love, one of the songs that was later featured on the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. Um, a lot of NXS's other videos that are very memorable were directed by a man by the name of Richard Lowenstein, and uh, he was a uh, considered like the seventh member of the band at one point. But he didn't direct this particular one. Uh, any, any thoughts on the music video itself? Did you get a chance to look at that, Anne?
1: I think I didn't see the music video. I saw a live performance of theirs.
0: Yeah, they they kept they kept that in their concert repertoire for quite a while. Um, it's definitely if you look up there. Um, There are a couple not nice words on that album, but I think it's called Live Baby Live. It's not Live Baby Live or Live Baby Live like in their new sensation song. I think it is actually Live Baby Live is the name of their live album that was shot at Wembley Stadium in London. Um, They have a live version of that, but they kept it in the repertoire for quite a while, I believe.
1: Yeah, they looked really fun. Like, it probably, Have you ever gotten to see them live?
0: I actually did get to see them twice. Um, I saw them once in, I believe, 2006 in Milwaukee at the... I believe it's the same place I saw the Milwaukee performance of Pokemon Symphonic Evolutions. And a year later, it must have been one of their last shows because it was 2007, and I think not long after one of their guys had that medical problem where he couldn't perform a bunch of shows in a row, and uh, that was at Summerfest in Milwaukee. And I, I got to see that with uh, my cousin Justin, who came up from uh, from the Chicago area to see that. So um, that I did get to see a couple of their concerts, but only after they had switched um, performers. I never really knew them that well as a band before Rockstar excess or really before I got into college, uh, is when I started really looking into the band and sort of collecting their albums.
1: Yeah, they looked super fun. Yeah,
0: they are. Like I said, they're not role models by any stretch of the imagination, but they love performing. You, you have to give them credit for that. All right, so let's fast forward a couple years in their career to their their biggest album, Kick. Uh, I believe it sold about 6 million copies in the U.S. and maybe close to 10 worldwide. Um, I picked for this album the song, the, the title track, Kick, which was not a single, doesn't have a music video. But I think it it sort of applies just really to Pokemon in general. So it has this sort of, uh, when you come into it, this very long sort of fade where some sort of synth instrument is coming in. And uh, you hear Michael saying, you know, sometimes you kick, sometimes you get kicked. And, you know, and then it goes into this bombastic piece that has, you know, Kirk Pengilly on the saxophone, of course, and some of the other stuff. And they're sort of talking about you know things that can come up in life and how you just kind of gotta keep keep pressing forward and doing things like that. Uh, and what do you think of this the song? Uh, first of all, in terms of instrumentation,
1: I love the opening. It's just so fun, like coming in all all like the voices and that, and like just pa 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 pa. No, I re- I like this song a lot, and yeah, it's just it's very in- kind of got a nice aggressive vibe to it that. I, very different from the last one you picked.
0: No, they have a pretty good range within the yeah, band. Yeah. I mean, even within the Kick album, if you compare this to Love Their Songs, even though there are common threads that go through all the songs on that album in terms of style, they all do pretty much feel distinct. Uh, were there any lyrics that
1: particularly stood
0: out for you with that one?
1: Um, let me think. There are... I mean, I don't know if it's really especially Pokemon inspiring, but like, I, I did kind of just love that like make peace with your flesh and blood, make peace with your love sort of thing. And in the end, this is truth. But I kind of felt a callback to Pokemon, like during like the when my back is broken, when the mountain moves away, like you know the dreams and the promises. It kind of brought me back to again, it's back that making my way any way that I can song. Very different, obviously musically, but I kind of felt. That it was kind of channeling a similar vein in that sense,
0: I definitely agree with you there. I mean, yeah, there's not much here that sort of like locks on the Pokemon the way you might like. Um, it is, I don't want to say fluff. It, it's still a very good song. I mean, you can't apply this to virtually any competitive scenario in life. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, actually, the other thing I would like to see, I don't know if there's an Australian equivalent of this, but in the United States, of course, we have this long-running show called America's Funniest Home Videos. And they do, like, every episode, they would do a music montage. And this so- song wasn't probably famous enough. But, you know, I could totally see this song being used in one of those with, like, a lot of Comedic footage of like uh, kids in in martial arts class accidents <laughs> and <laughs> things like that, <laughs> which I know is kind of a, a silly use of this song, but uh, I did kind of want to point out that that might also be another place you could wind up using it. I, I, like I said, there's actually a decent number of songs on. Kick is my favorite NXS album. Let, let, let's, let's be playing there. Um, probably, like I said, because of, I listened to a lot of it. They played a lot of it at the roller rink when I would do the skating there when I was in daycare. There is another song on that album you might have expected us to pick. It works as a Pokemon song, but kind of for the wrong reasons, and I'll let it leave you to uh, to listen to the album. There's one song with a hard swear on it, but other than that, it's mostly Nothing Beyond PG. And uh, see if you can figure out which song that is. Um, had I had something a little bit... wanted to pick something a little bit deeper, there is a B-side from that era called Move On, which has a couple different versions of it. And uh, I think that would also have made a, a very good Pokemon song. So if there had been a Pokemon movie in 1988... I think we might have seen that one there. Uh, that's another one to check out if you if you like the sound from that album.
1: This one, I think, would be really fun to do, like, an AMV.
0: I, I would say, yes. About a
1: battle, like, the, you just Pokemon <laughs> this battle This would be great montage. for, like, an
0: opening title theme, do you think? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd want to have it in the animation in such a way that it choreographs around some of the dynamics in there. But I think this would be great for like an opening to either the show or to a movie or something like that in some sort of battle theme like that. If you want something like maybe re-splice this in in the first movie opening sequence, um, the, the there aren't very many really kick attacks in there, but you kind of get the idea but I, I think, like I said, if there was a Pokemon movie in 1988, the the label might have asked them if they wanted to use it there. I mean, Inxs does have uh, songs that are associated with a number of other more older focused movies. They have a song on the soundtrack to Pretty in Pink. Uh, one of their songs from from the album Elegantly Wasted, just before Michael died, is used in the in the Nicolas Cage John Travolta movie Face Off, from what I remember. So they have do have some experience in that area. But uh, I think from here, we're going to sort of fast forward uh, almost 20 years from, you know, 87 all the way to 2005 to Rockstar NXS. I don't know exactly when this song was written. Sometime after Michael died and sometime up through 2005. And this song is called us, which is on the Switch album, which is the one with J.D. Fortune doing vocals. And uh In Excess does one of these songs pretty much on every one of their albums, one of these togetherness songs. Um, on Elegantly Wasted, it was everything. On Kick, it's calling all nations. And uh, on, on Listen Like Thieves, it's shine like it does. So they do one of these songs pretty much every album. They do some variety of this. And um, what I associated this song with in Pokemon, um, certainly encourage you to listen to it, is Pokemon 2000. And sort of the reason I said that, if you listen to it, you know, it says the world is always changing, you can see it every day, but in a tragic situation, you can't just hide yourself away. And as I thought more and more about this song, I thought, you know, I can kind of see that sort of lining up with the plot events in the movie. And, you know, we have obviously a tragic situation, you know, nature's being thrown completely out of balance. And for the Hide Yourself Away, I always remember that shot of sort of when when Zapdos appears where Ash is sort of peeking out from behind the boat and sort of uh, tie that in there. Um, but that's sort of the togetherness song for Switch. It doesn't have a video, like I said. And it just sort of goes on. And I I feel like it just sort of fits the movie just really well. Like I said, I I have no evidence whatsoever to say that this was something they had like I don't know I doubt they were actually like like Andrew Ferris who who wrote most of this stuff after Michael died uh, was asked and then this is just lying or this was just something he had lying around or anything like that. No evidence to that whatsoever. As far as I know this has nothing to do with anything. But it it really does fit and um it, it sort of ties into sort of ash's role because it sort of says yeah i am i'm an important part of this but don't leave it to me nothing's for free it comes down to us which sort of describes in a better way than some of the marketing for the movie sort of the the duality that i'm an important person here but i can't do this alone is that sort of the vibe you got there
1: Um, like, I really see your point. I actually was getting kind of a brother, my brother first movie vibe. But yeah, no, you, as you're explaining it, like, I really see a lot of Pokemon 2000 in these lyrics. It's wonderful. You're right, better than some of the marketing, it kind of explains what's going on there.
0: So who knows, maybe in some alternate universe, they might have uh, written this up. But the other part, I think that fits kind of very well with the second movie, and I guess maybe some of the other ones as well, is that during uh, the says, we're not indestructible, where some kind of miracle happens every day. And it sort of gives the impression that sort of this world we live in only continues to exist because we work together to make sure that it does. And it could fall apart very easily if we collectively decided it wasn't worth it.
1: Yeah, and and like how like those kids could have died in that movie. Some of them almost did. How precious life is. Every single day is a miracle. Yeah.
0: What do you think of the instrumentation of that song? It's obviously one of their later works. It's basically one of the you know they haven't really done much original since. Uh, What do you think of it?
1: Um, Well, I did only listen to it like the one or two times, so you know my memories are not very solid yet but it's so beautiful and very very touching and very lovely like yeah it's it's just moving like maybe part of that's the lyrics but like the music supports what they're trying to say very well i think
0: one thing i did want to say about this song um if you look at the switch album it has i believe 13 tracks and this is the next to last track on it. The, the last track is something, is a track called God's Top 10, which is a tribute to Michael Hutchins. And while I do agree that it's very important for them to have sort of some send-off piece in this album where they were getting a new lead singer and they, they needed to do something for him, I, part of me kind of wishes that Us had sort of been the last song on the album rather than God's Top 10. I'm sure Annie didn't listen to that particular song, but, I kind of felt this might have been a better song to end on to sort of have sort of the tribute to to Michael Hutchins and then have this song to say how we're sort of coming together to sort of, uh, help everyone move forward and, and progress with life, knowing that things like what happened are, are part of life.
1: Well, definitely like if they hadn't have had, you know, these, you know, the personal band issues, I think on any album, a song like this. Feels like it deserves to be the last word, so I think I think you're onto something there.
0: Like I said, it was just kind of the way I, I feel with it, because uh, this was still at the time when I got this album where I didn't have an, like an iPod or anything like that. So of course, when you had CD in it would just loop back to the start, and it plays this song called uh, the first track on the album is called The Devil's Party. The one you a lot of you would remember from the Switch album is uh, Pretty Vegas, which. Um, I guess on a lighter note, I did write a parody of called Skitty Vegas, which is a song about Pokemon centers and Pokemarts. Uh, there's some kind of interesting stuff in there. I've parodied, parodied a lot of NXS stuff over the years. I am definitely a super fan. Um, I even made like an um, entire NXS fictional Pokemon TZ set back in the Gen 3 era. Um, So that's how devoted I was. This is amazing. (laughs) But as far as this song goes, yeah, I think this would have been a great addition had it been available, which there's no evidence on my part that I know of to say it was. I really doubt it. I know that some of the songs on the album were written a few years prior to the actual reality show. Like I know Hungry, which also kind of works as a Pokemon song. I I could go on for another hour on NXS songs. I think kind of sort of work as a Pokemon song. Um,
1: <laughs> That's probably why we picked these two bands Is because so many of their songs Do remind us of Pokemon Or or could
0: Yeah, it's kind of It's always that interesting thing You know, if if perhaps If Perfume had gotten up to speed earlier Or if Michael Hutchins hadn't died And, and in excess had been able to continue Who knows what we might have seen I mean, yeah. I like to bring up the in excess thing Just because it's interesting to draw parallels Because logically they should have nothing to do with each other um, And I think there is a little bit of, of parallelism, even between these two bands, really. I think there's a lot of determination and willingness to keep going, even when some other folks would have given up. I mean, there were a lot of folks that after Michael died would have said, you know, okay, pack your stuff up, maybe do writing or producing or stuff, but you'll never be a band again. And In Excess, despite the hurdles in front of them, it took them a while. They had a lot to sort through after that, but they eventually kept going, you know, and eventually, unfortunately, ran into other stuff. And then Perfume, like you said, they had a very long period of time where they weren't making a lot of traction, but they kept going at it, and eventually it paid off.
1: Yeah, like the story you're telling about In Excess, like it's very inspiring like that, you know, it was important to them not just to make music, but to make music with each other as much as they could, because they also could have found other people to make a band with. And that that was worth pursuing, even though, you know, maybe the fans wouldn't agree, or maybe, you know, they wouldn't think this new, new member is as good or all those things. They they decided that this was worth more, Like they had something to say. And something they wanted to achieve that's that's very inspiring i
0: just like to bring these things up to sort of point out that my view of the musical universe is that everything is connected it may be in very strange ways very tangentially and you can find similarities and influences and stuff like that between you know music produced for the sake of music as well as music produced for part of another work, part of a movie, part of a video game, part of something else. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode is that I kind of wanted to show, like I said, just how everything is connected like that. Cause I think it's really neat. And I think it's really important for us to remember that.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Any other thoughts on, uh, in excess before we kind of wrap up
1: here? Uh, well, I, like I said, I, I hadn't really come across their path very much before, but You're kind of making me want to check them out more. Like, they they seem like a very interesting band with a lot of really fun and interesting songs. And I said they love, they
0: love being on stage. Clearly, yeah, they, they love performing, and you know they have a lot of a great body of work. And like I said, I would say there's a there's a greatest hits album. The one I got in 2002 is called The Best of NXS. Um, you could find it on pretty much any online store. Streaming services should have it. And that's a great place to start for them. Uh, where would you recommend folks start if they want to get into perfumes music? Is there a compilation album they've put out yet or anything like that?
1: Um, they have actually a, a couple compilation albums. The one that they released internationally is called Love the World. And you can find that like anywhere you can buy music. Um, I would recommend going to YouTube. First, and just getting on their channel, because that's where you'll find like all their music videos. And I think if you're going to go down that rabbit hole, that's the place to start. And like some of their music videos, especially the more recent ones are just really fun to watch for the artistic qualities and like the, the types of stories they try to tell, the types of technology they use or, or their dancing. Like it's just a very visually stunning, Thing, even if maybe, maybe the type of music is not something that grabs you, they're worth looking at and taking inspiration from. Cause like I said, they're at the forefront of a lot of creative endeavors. So I, yeah, I would say just look up perfume on YouTube and find their channel. Or if you want to find them on any sort of music streaming or purchasing site, look for their love the world compilation album.
0: Yeah, definitely places to start there, but yeah, both of these groups, I'm sure... I know NXS has produced a lot of uh, kind of uh, obscure stuff over the years for soundtracks and things like that that you might have to do a little digging for, but there are good places to start for both of these bands. All right, so we did take a break between the original series movies and the advanced generations movies. However, our next episode is not going to be movie six. We will get to that eventually, However, um, the time when we're going to be recording the next episode is going to be around the time when the Magearna movie, uh Movie 19, comes out on DVD in English, and it's probably coming out on digital around the same time. So, um, our plan is actually to do an episode right around then where we discuss the Japanese and English ending themes of that movie while it's hot, I guess you could say and current and after that our plan is to resume with the advanced generation movie starting with movie six which is of course uh, a small thing slash make a wish two sides of the same tune so that'll be another one we do a very different structure but uh, until then uh, Anne, thank you for coming on always like to share some of our musical interests across uh, across boundaries i guess you could say
1: thank you it was so fun to talk about it
0: all right, well, this has been Steven Reich from the PokéPress Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, on the phone with Anne of Pigpy Peak Peak Podcast. Hi, I'm Stephen Reich, here at the Monona Terrace Convention Center in Madison, Wisconsin, at the Pokémon Trading Card and Video Game Midwest Regionals 2016. I'm here with Eric Gansman, who is the second-place finisher in the Master's Division of the Trading Card Game Tournament. But first of all, where are you from originally?
2: Uh, I'm from New York City, but I go to school at Indiana University in Bloomington.
0: All right. And uh, what was the deck that you decided to use for this year's tournament?
2: Uh, I decided to use Trevenant and Trevenant Break.
0: Now, as I understand, you didn't play a whole lot this year, um, but you were given the deck by one of your friends. How did that come about?
2: Yeah, so uh, I hadn't played at all, like, at all, like this year, like you said. Uh, I've been to three tournaments before this, and my friend Travis Nunless, while we were hanging out with Aaron Tarbell, basically said, hey, play this deck. I got top four with it last week at Seattle Regionals. You'll do well, and that's how I got the deck, so.
0: You adapted quite well. Uh I have to say not many people could actually get a deck on, on those circumstances and certainly make it to second place in in their age division. So uh for folks at home who may not be familiar with the uh, the deck, what are some of the uh, the main Pokémon in the Trevenant break deck? Obviously there's Trevenant, but there are a couple to choose from. How does that all fit together?
2: Yeah, so I use uh, the Trevenant from X and Y that blocks abilities when it's in, uh, blocks items, excuse me, when it's in the active. So that, along with Wobbuffet, which blocks abilities. So basically, I'm either going to be ability locking or item locking the entire game. Uh, And I also use Trevenant Break, which spreads 30 damage uh, on all of your opponent's Pokemon for a Psychic and a Colorless. So with Dimension Valley, it's just one energy spread 30 everywhere. And basically, the gist of the deck is use that along with Bursting Balloon, which when they attack you, they take, uh, your opponent takes 60 damage on their active Pokémon. So use that in conjunction with just spreading and Waba attack, which is 10 damage plus 10 more for each of your uh, damage counter on your opponent's active Pokémon. So basically just spread a bunch of damage, get a bunch of damage counters on the board, and then just sweep with Waba Fett.
0: Yeah, that's basically how it works out. And you did pretty well, obviously. So what worked well for the deck in this tournament? Uh, where were your successes?
2: Um, I mean, I think just the consistent list I have to give all credit to Travis and Aaron for that They made it together uh, Aaron won Florida Regionals with a very, very similar list Travis got top four last week, like I said, in Seattle So clearly the deck is doing something right So, uh, But I, think I gotta say the consistency uh, And Wobbuffet was definitely my MVP I love that card
0: you know, a lot of people do actually like that, that Pokémon just in general, and it always seems to have kind of an interesting uh, set of uh, abilities whenever it comes into the trading card game, and this is no exception. All right, well, you made it to the finals. You were paired against a uh, Yvettel deck, a Dark deck, which is, you know, as you might expect, Trevenant's toughest matchup, pretty much, and uh, you, you weren't able to succeed, but you did make a good effort of it. Uh, what did you uh, try to do, and, and sort of, uh, where did that lead?
2: Um, So game one, I kind of realized after he went first and took a couple prizes, I probably wasn't going to win the prize trade. And after I saw that he had four VS Seekers and his N in the discard, I tried to deck him out. I actually got him down to no cards in deck, but he still had a chorus that I didn't account for. Uh, So unfortunately, uh, I lost because of that. It was a really good game. But nothing you can do about that. And then game two, I was kind of demoralized uh, after losing the first one. But I also went first, and I didn't get the turn one Trevenant, which meant that he got items. And that kind of just led him to scene roll me. So I think I took three prizes that game, but it wasn't really close. It is a bad matchup. Is there anything you might change if you use this deck again? Or anything you might change about your overall
0: strategy for that type of matchup?
2: I don't... I don't think so. I don't think there's really much that you can do without completely changing how the deck works. Uh, My friend Christian Ortiz just won Georgia Regionals today with Trevenant, but he plays uh, Crushing Hammer instead of Bursting Balloon. So the strategy is like really entirely different. He has a much better um, Yveltal matchup than I do, but I just don't really like Crushing Hammers. I'm not a lucky guy. I know Christian runs amazingly well with flips. He gets heads every single time. But um, I don't know. I really wouldn't change anything. I think the list is perfect.
0: Yeah, you know, it's one of those things. You can either sort of broaden your base there, or you can just sort of accept that if this happens, it's going to be extraordinarily difficult. You did, like I said, you made a good effort there. And uh, we would certainly hope to see more from you over at U.S. Nationals. Yes,
2: for sure. Definitely going now that I have two buys.
0: All right, well, this has been Stephen Reich from the Monona Terrace Convention Center in Madison, Wisconsin, reporting on the Pokemon Trading Card and Video Game Midwest Regionals 2016. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at PokePress on Twitter. Actually, there is one other similarity, or connect. it's really more of a, a weird tangential connection between Pokemon and XS I want to point out. When Michael died, he was working on a bun- bunch of stuff, as you might expect. One of those songs is a song called Possibilities. You can look up, I think, his partially finished version. I think he did some recording or a demo or something for it. It turns out the person who finished that is the singer, Kirsten Price, who some of you will know did the um, ending theme to the Dark Ride movie? I'll always remember you in, uh, for the dub, and also the uh, "We Will Be Heroes" TV version, and we talk about that a little bit during her interview. It's a kind of a weird little tangential thread line there.